You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the RSA Conference podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. This is Hugh Thompson, Program Committee Chair for RSA Conference, and I am happy to be joined by my co-host, Today, Britta Glade, Director of Content and Curation. How are you, Britta? I am awesome. Happy Monday, Hugh. It's great to be your wing man once again. Oh, we've got a good one today. I am so excited. Yes, we're going to talk DevOps, um, you know, a growing area of interest for our RSA conference community, and we've got some fabulous experts here with us today. Um, Matt Murray and Matt, thanks for joining us. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, thanks for having us. Hey, Matt, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Uh, my name is Matt Clapham. I'm a principal product security leader at G Healthcare on their product security group. Uh, I make products more secure. Uh, I do that by helping them through uh, all sorts of different things that help them design, build, uh, deploy, and operate secure products and solutions. And uh, I'm focusing right now on our cloud products and uh, working with our CICD pipeline team. Fabulous. Murray, please do the same. Murray Goldschmidt, Chief Operating Officer at Sense of Security, and I'm located in the wonderful city of Sydney, Australia. Sense of Security is a pure play information security consulting and advisory firm, and we provide advice and services from the boardroom to the basement, everything from a very technical level right up to discussions with the board of a large corporate and DevOps security is one of my areas of interest and a personal passion, um, and I help a lot of organizations to integrate security in an automated way across their DevOps life cycles. And I'm really pleased to be here today to share some of my, um, my thoughts and knowledge in the area. Fantastic, gentlemen. Thank you both for joining us. And, you know, this has been... Uh, one of the interesting rising topics at RSA Conference over the last few years, we've seen a huge amount of interest in DevOps from, from our attendees, either from people that are working in software security or folks that just need to understand how to interact with those folks. And, man, I want to start with you. You know, if I look back at, at your career path, you really have been at the intersection of product development and operations. And for a long time, if you look at those early software security books, and this was this is a personal area of passion uh, for me, and I, I wrote a few of those books, you know, we had a lot of assumptions that things would be done sequentially by developers and then thrown over the wall to operations and, and we'd see what happened. We'd get feedback at, at some point uh, some point in the future. But let me ask you, at, at what point do you think that these two areas have really come together? What was the what was the forcing function or what was the driver for application security and operations to really get melded in this way? Uh, excellent question, Hugh. Uh, I think a lot of it tends towards uh, the, the speed at which we see products getting developed these days. Right, you're seeing more and more teams that are trying to do agile or scrum or fall or, or get from you know a traditional waterfall model 
into more of a, a rapid iteration cycle. And I think the, the DevOps development kind of followed that naturally because you had teams that were before used to just, as you said, toss it over the wall. And now they have to be cognizant of, you know, who's going to do that operations? How is the people uh, doing those, uh, keeping that site up or, or keeping that software up to date uh, going to have to contend with things like vulnerabilities or just general software bugs and patches? And so I think it kind of, if anything, we sort of fell into it, but it's a very natural extension. And it's just uh, what we used to do maybe 20 years ago, but uh, at a much more rapid pace. And it's Murray here. If I can just um, add in over there, I think one of the major changes that has occurred in the last few years is the rapid adoption of cloud, particularly public cloud. Matt, you mentioned about uh, about agile development practices, and while agile is not uh, exclusively in the domain of cloud, it certainly it can be on-premise or in a hybrid arrangement. The fact, the fact that public cloud has got such a high growth rate is largely because it's very elastic and very API-centric and API-driven, which means that it's really easy to integrate a whole bunch of new tools into your development cycle, tools that were built specifically for environments like that. So the fact that there's an abundantly um, array of, of tools available makes it easy for organizations to choose interaction points within their development lifestyle to interact between development and operations. That's yeah, a really... Point, yeah, yeah. I was gonna. I'm gonna pivot there, and this is an exciting. This is an exciting topic. Um, so I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw this one to both of you since I just cut you off, Matt. Anyway, cloud is definitely a key driver here, and we've seen that in the submissions that have come through to RSA conference and the presentations that have been delivered. Can both of you, and I'm gonna start with you, Murray, and then flip to you, Matt. Can you give us some history or perspective on how susceptible then to to security risks? the application layer has been historically. Noting what you just talked about, the changes in the cloud, the changing changes in how we're doing things from an infrastructure standpoint. And my second question, is it getting better now that DevOps has entered the picture? Murray? Yeah, I'm happy to pick up on that. Firstly, I'd like to distinguish, I'd like to ensure that we're not distinguishing just between application security vulnerabilities and infrastructure security vulnerabilities. Ultimately, when an organization develops a product, which is generally some form of application that they're publishing to their market, it is actually a combination of the application and the infrastructure which it runs on. Now, we saw in 2017 huge um, uh, vulnerabilities, particularly around Apache struts. Now, that wasn't an application vulnerability. That was a framework vulnerability ultimately operating at the infrastructure layer. So if you want to look at application security, you really got to consider what we call full-stack security. Everything from the first-party code, the third-party code that integrates into it, the operating systems that, that drive them, and the infrastructure or platform that they delivered on. Um, and this is no different, really, from non-cloud environments, you know, the, the traditional on-premise or data center delivered applications. Most of those organizations still have to build secure applications, build secure operating systems, harden them, and then continuously test them. The fact that we're now in a, a very cloud-centric era just makes it a lot easier to query or to um, interrogate your environment uh, to determine how secure it is. So you get a lot more rapid um, information very quickly in order to make a, a quick decision. You know, is the application vulnerable? Did I include a vulnerable third-party component, such as Apache Struts, for example? 
uh, is my operating system hardened? Did it change today from where it was yesterday where I, where I knew it was secure? What was that change? So the cloud just gives us the ability to be very dynamic and very quick in our ability to identify changes in the environment. And that really is where the whole movement around continuous monitoring is moving towards, giving us the opportunity to continuously evaluate changes in the environment across all layers of the technology stack. Uh, earlier you said something, you had asked about susceptibility, and I, I think susceptibility hasn't necessarily changed because it's all software, right? I mean, sure, we deliver it with the cloud, we might do it faster, but it, when it comes right down to it, it's two things, two pieces of software talking to each other over some sort of communication channel. And that's uh, the same we have today. Now, what I think is, is dramatically changed and that the cloud is definitely uh, benefited for, uh, fitting from and therefore, you know, enjoying that at speed is all of the automation, right? Not just the APIs, but the entire ecosystem has come together to make uh, programming languages that are easier to use, programming languages that have, um, say, memory management and whatnot built in so you don't have to worry as much about some of those things that for years when you were, you know, writing all your stuff in assembler code, you had to worry about, say, a buffer overflow. So all that has kind of naturally come together to make uh, the cloud uh, not only be able to do it at speed, but hopefully have uh, better security of the app itself. Now, as Murray pointed out, there's that whole infrastructure picture end to end, and we've got to be concerned about that. And in fact, what, one of the things we're seeing with attacks on the cloud is people are attacking, the attackers are going after the infrastructure because they're finding that's the weakest link. Yeah, you know, you bring, you bring up a great point, and this is a, a question to both of you. In the past, if you think about skill sets of the folks that were involved, first on the operations side, these are the people that truly understood, say, the web application firewall, the regular firewall, uh, also things like the proxy server, you know, the tools that you would use to try and protect yourself against big swaths of threats. And they'd also be folks that have heavy networking backgrounds and tool configuration and really important skills. And then you'd look at the folks on the, the software development side, they would be ninjas in C or C++ or Java or you know, whatever language it was that they were, that they were developing in. I'm curious, as you see DevOps continue to evolve, and particularly DevSecOps, what does the skill set look like for the people that are going to be very successful in building and leading teams here? So, to, uh, Murray, maybe 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 I can start with you on this one, and um, and I'd lo love to get your view on it too, man. Sure. Well, as you mentioned there, you know, coming from a, a pure application background, many developers were either specialists in a particular language. It could have been Java or C++ or, or .NET. And traditionally, infrastructure people knew about routers and firewalls and um, virtualization uh, technology, etc. I think the, the key skill here uh, when organizations are looking for competent people to, to join their teams is, is very much that intersection between dev and ops. They're looking for people who understand not only how to write code in a particular language, but how that application actually interacts with other components in the environment. How does the application actually send data to the database? How does the database consume that, that, um, that information? Does it store it? Does it process it, etc.? So So we're really looking to, today towards people 
who can um, who can provide input to their organization both at the technology layer as well as the application layer. If you're looking at other um, roles within the, the DevOps culture, certainly those who have got a product management role um, will, will need to appreciate the full end-to-end -end spectrum of the software delivery lifecycle. And when we introduce security into that, essentially those people have automatically become a security champion within the organization. So we're seeing a lot of our, uh, in, in, particularly in the Australian market, a lot of organizations now are looking to develop what we call security champions within their teams. That is somebody who's going to promote the idea of security right across everything that they do, whether it's got to do with the storage bucket and the way that they actually store the data and the permissions that they put on it, if it's got to do with compliance reporting, working out how secure the environment is uh, at any point in time, or if it's got to do with um, the application team actually writing secure code and continuously testing it as they compile and produce that application. So I really see that um, security, at least in our market here, has been lifted up and there is a great deal of focus on incorporating security into every aspect of the delivery lifecycle. Um, the skill sets I've noticed are, are migrating uh, somewhere to the middle. If you go back to the traditional ops roles, I see more and more of those roles learning coding and learning how to do uh, basic scripting definitions and whatnot to be able to program the infrastructure as code itself. And then similarly, um, you know, years ago, you had that one guy on the team who knew how to put stuff together well enough to make the build server do its job, um, and then everybody else just kind of checked in their builds and, you know, stuff happened. Uh, now more and more, the entire uh, dev team are working on features or the DevOps team uh, it specifically is working on features that go into the build system itself. So that, that merger of ops and, and code is, is sort of meeting together in the middle somewhere. And then they're, they're getting close enough that they're learning from each other, right? So those skill sets are, are, are gravitating towards one another and then benefiting from each other for, uh, for speed, for security, for efficiency, uh, you name it. And uh, I'd be remiss if I, I didn't say that, you know, we, we have to deal with uh, champions and, and, and scale out in my uh, in my world on a regular basis. And so one of the things I do as a product security leader is to work with those champions that Murray was referring to to help them get better at doing it, right? And I'll, uh, I'll talk about that, uh, that, that skill set, that role, uh, a bit more in my talk at RSA on uh, Friday the 20th. Excellent. So I want to circle back, Matt, with you on you, – you talked about how threats look different. Um, we're, we're, we're developing at speed. There's all kinds of different groups involved with this now. We're having to have different conversations across the business, um, et cetera, et cetera. So there's lots of places threats or potential threats are coming in from very quickly. Can, what are your thoughts about threat modeling at speed? How do we do it? How should we be set up to do it? Um, what recommendations would you have for our listeners? Um. The, the, the thing I've found with threat modeling is, is the first time when you're creating a, a threat model from scratch is, is going to take a little bit of time. What always goes well after that, though, is keeping that threat model up to date. Because once you've got the initial design down, the incremental change, even at, at speed, isn't all that much. You might add the occasional feature there, uh, change slightly the way this API works, but from a, a threat perspective, it's not substantially different. What might get different is the meta threats, where it's, you know, combining multiple threats together to get some even bigger attack or some bigger vulnerability. Um, so tips to, to do that at speed, um, 
you got to start somewhere and um, take what you know. It could just be a very high-level diagram of the thing you built that you're doing agile on and you're deploying at speed and you're getting out new builds every two hours or whatever it is, right? Model that just in a real simple sense. And you have a small group of people from the team there doing that modeling so they can all get together and agree, yeah, that's what we built. And then just, you know, address that and say, okay, well, let's look at the threats from this and start to learn and go from there. And then as you, you get further down, you can start to work in the process of saying, well, we've modeled the big thing, and now whatever we, we go in to touch or change a smaller thing, some subpart of it, we're going to dive into that part and model that specifically. So you've got this, this chain that kind of builds the, the, the momentum, builds the acumen in, in the team at speed and right along with the, uh, the agile development or the, the rapid development process to make threat modeling just something that's the norm. Matt, thanks for, for that insight then. I've got to admit I absolutely 100% agree with you there. I think we've got to move away from being completely obsessed with everything with this terminology at speed. Everybody wants to develop at speed, produce at speed, deploy at speed. From my perspective, it's more about focusing on the fundamentals. It doesn't matter if you're in agile development, if you're on cloud or you're on-prem, it doesn't really matter. InfoSec fundamentally hasn't changed. It's still about confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Organizations really need to focus on the basics. They need to do things right from a foundational perspective, and once they've got that, then they can look towards identifying ways to automate and make things more dynamic, more agile, more repetitive. So I think the at speed is really a byproduct of being able to use tools in a very cloud-centric manner which will deliver things at speed. But to order, in order to get at speed, whatever you do, whether it's um, threat modeling or scanning external, scanning internal, you've got to start with something that actually makes sense, that is basic, and actually works in the first place. So I'd say get back to basics first before you try to do something at speed. Uh, yeah, yeah, certainly, Murray. When I say at speed, I'm referring to, you know, the speed at which that particular team develops. It could be their two-week sprints. It could be their just checking it whenever you want, or it could be the uh, the three-month development cycle they have for a release. Hey, and I'm, I'm wondering, you know, you're talking about sticking to the core principles that we understand, confidentiality, integrity, availability, and then there's also this this bigger framework of risk management inside enterprises. How do you see the move to, to DevOps or SecDevOps or DevSecOps? There seems to be uh, seems to be a lot of controversy on exactly where the naming will uh, will end up. But how do you see that mapping in to a traditional risk management readout? Something that you know a person that's in the risk function of the business can really understand what's happening when all these changes are being made very rapidly. Well, it's Murray here. I'll start. Oh, go ahead. Um, when organizations are trying to identify what their risk posture is, they really, again, have to come back to focus on the fundamentals. They've got to know what their data is, who has access to it, where it is, how it's stored, etc. That's if you look at any information security standard, whether it's NIST or ISO or PCI DSS, they all come back to those fundamental tenets of do you know what data you're handling? Is it sensitive data? Who has access to it? Have you protected it in transit and at rest? So as long as you've got the ability to interrogate your technology stack with all these fancy tools and the APIs and integrations, you should be able to pick out 
the various settings to determine if those aspects or elements of your application are actually intact and secure. So the fact that we're in a highly dynamic and highly automated environment generally when we talk about application development today and, and modern apps, it actually will uh, enhance the ability for organizations to have a better pinpoint picture of their, uh, of their threat profile or risk profile as an organization as a whole. So I think that the, uh, that the risk management function in an organization should be rapidly working towards adoption of the fact that we're working in a cloud-centric environment which allows us to very easily pick out the elements of the, uh, of, of the, um, the framework to identify how secure we are at any point in time. Uh, excellent points there, uh, Murray. I, we all need to get back to basics, and I think that would actually help a lot of our problems, especially if we kind of get back to, you know, things like, like tech debt is one of the basic tenets that we've, we've got to correct over time. I've been really passionate about tech debt is, is solving some of the problems as of late. Uh, but if you think about from that risk management perspective, uh, I think Murray had some very important points. We've got to have the basics, and those, those skills, those smarts, those, those premises don't, don't go away. They need to be enhanced and, and modified. And here's a big area where I think that, that it has changed and that Murray's really touching on is now you know, as part of development, where your, your known badness is. You've got, uh, as, uh, as Gary McGraw would say, you've got a, a, a badnessometer, and that badnessometer tells you stuff. Used to be you just had this thing running and you didn't know much about it. All you knew is that somebody was trying to log in with the admin password or something like that, right? Now you've got this, the ability to say, well, we know that and we know we have these flaws over here in our authentication mechanism we haven't fixed yet. We get a better picture of not only where our weak spots are, but if you combine the two, you know who's attacking those weak spots. And that'll help you uh, be more efficient and, and better respond to any of those threats that might come up or the uh, active attacks. Let me ask you a, a, a slightly different question. You know, we talked about skill sets earlier on and the ability to, to make things go and work and understand the environment and then, of course, the ability to, to write code and really understand the language. What do you think about the actual skill set of secure coding? You know, I think for a long time, uh, many universities have have tried with you know so, some successes and 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 some uh, some failures of getting a little bit of software security integrated into say the undergrad curriculum for computer science or software engineering, but still uh, at least I find that a lot of developers enter the workforce or even ones that have been in the workforce for a long time might be ninja coders, but they're still not. Ex Exposed to the kinds of techniques that an attacker may use um, to leverage their code to do something that was never intended. So I'm curious, how do you think about that problem? Do you think it's the company's responsibility still to fill that knowledge gap? Are you finding people coming in with more of those skills from the very beginning? Just curious to get a get a read on where things are. Uh, Murray, yes, I think yeah. the company needs to okay. – <laughs> go ahead. Sorry, Murray here. Uh, look, I think that it's an it's a industry transformational uh, requirement that over a period of time, graduates from universities are slowly going to have a better appreciation for security. But no organization can wait the next 10 to 15 years to get better qualified 
software developers coming straight out of uh, university or, or, or some sort of technical tertiary education. So I, I like to think of this as there is plenty of opportunity in the organization's delivery life cycle to introduce better education and awareness to the, the technicians and developers who are working within their environment. So if you think about um, modern uh, security capabilities around identifying vulnerabilities in products, whether they be third-party libraries or the actual first-party code that the developer is writing themselves. If they can introduce scanning earlier on into the development piece, allow the, the, um, the developer to essentially self-assess their own code, the tools should be giving that developer the feedback as to where the vulnerabilities are in the code that they've just written. They will then uh, be able to uh, fix that code, rescan, and satisfy themselves that they've actually, uh, you know, made that that piece of code now secure or, or or not susceptible to the vulnerability that it originally had. So over a period of time, for those development those developers who are already in play, there are plenty of opportunities for companies to enable their development teams to continuously improve their capability in in terms of developing secure code simply by investing in the right tools and products and giving and introducing it at the right um, um, checkpoints within their delivery life cycles? I would say, yes, it is the company's responsibility. And for me, it's, it's real simple. Uh, here's why. The internets don't care that the universities are spitting out developers that don't have a familiarity with secure coding practices. They're going to attack your stuff anyway. So in order to help stem that tide and get in front of the problem, uh, the company really needs to figure out, you know, hey, do our developers have a semblance of it, and uh, how do we get them that? And that's where what Murray's great suggestions right there play in, right? They, all those different ways to, to make it contextual, to suit um, the, the developer's skill set uh, at different levels, to uh, try a couple different ways so that, you know, if you have some developers that like learning one way versus another, you've got the, the breadth there to kind of cover the majority case so that you can educate all of your developers in basic software security techniques and, uh, and ideas. This is great, and I appreciate the conversation. I always, whenever I look at any of the, the, the trifecta of the security conversation, it's the people, it's the process, it's the technology. And we've covered, I love that we had the good people conversation, a lot of process conversation. Let's hone in on the technology now. And I know there's been a lot of discussion in the DevOps world, you know, is less more, is more more in the number of, you know, tools that we have in our war chest. I'd love for both of you to answer this for me, Matt, starting with you, and then Murray. What criteria should go into our thought process when we're selecting the security tools that are going to be used in our development pipeline? What, what considerations do we need to be making? Uh, you got to think about how your particular dev team actually operates, and you got to find tools that fit into that, assuming that they, they track a couple of the key behaviors. So um, at RSA a couple of years ago, I talked about how to estimate development security maturity in about an hour. And really what I boiled it down to were several behaviors. Training, which we just talked about, was one of them. But I also looked at things like static analysis and dynamic analysis uh, and, um, and how do we fit those kinds of things into the DevOps cycle, whatever that cycle is and looks like. And so you've got to find first and say, hey, you know, let's, let's make sure we, we figure out where the right points are to integrate. And then choose tools that will fit into that relatively well and have relatively low overhead. Uh, nothing is, is free, right? There's no such thing as a free lunch. So we've got to have tools that, that integrate 
and are going to have to require a certain amount of care and feeding. But we want stuff that's going to streamline as much as possible so we don't um, slow the development down so much. Now, it might be a learning curve at first, but that's a different problem. Uh, it, it's mainly about finding the ones that work and go in. And, and sometimes it's, it's important to just focus on getting just one stage in. Start with one thing and get that well integrated. Get that part of the development culture and then worry about moving on to something else. So maybe it's also uh, focusing it down to just the one spot at first. Murray here. Um, I, I agree again with you. I think that a lot of organizations um, spin their wheels uh, for an extended period of time not knowing which product to buy, whether it's open source this or the, or the myriad of um, commercial products that are available. I think uh, a lot of that comes down to the DevOps culture within the team that you mentioned, Matt. Some organizations uh, work better with um, with low overhead um, technology, which means that they might need a commercial product that's got uh, already built-in reporting if they're you know, a highly regulated entity need to produce uh, reports for a regulator. Other organizations um, that have got a lot of people in their teams, they might, uh, they might be more inclined to go down the open source path where they can um, invest time of their people to develop a report specifically for, for what they want. Um, I think it's not so much whether they choose an open source tool or choose a commercial tool. I think it really comes down to them doing something uh, rather than doing nothing. So do something, as you said, focus in one area, get something working, prove that it, it works, and then you can perfect it over a period of time. And actually working out um, uh, which tool is the best for you may, may take an extended period of time. But while you're doing that, rather um, have something that is actually uh, running and producing results for you, even if it's not perfect. That's great. And I've got to thank you both. This has been a, a really, really interesting discussion on a topic that we've seen grow in importance especially over these last two years. And as a parting question for both of you, and, and I'll start with you, Matt, and then, Murray, you're on to act next. In, in just a few words, what do you think is the single greatest impact that DevSecOps is having within organizations? Visibility of the flaws across the entire pipeline. Okay, wow, it's succinct. I like that. You can almost put that on a T-shirt. Murray, Murray, what are your thoughts? I'd, I'd like to use the terminology that a lot of uh, technology vendors are using today called continuous monitoring. Uh, and that yes. really pivots off where Matt is today. It's the ability to quickly identify changes in your environment, whether it be at the technology layer, the platform layer, operating systems or applications, essentially the full stack to be able to continuously identify what has changed in the environment and then make it a, a decision, does that make my situation better or worse? Um, that level of knowledge and capability that is delivering to organizations today is really powerful and allow them to make good decisions about how to secure their entire stack going forward. Thank you. So we have been joined today by the letter M's 
Marie and Matt, thank you both so very much for um, for sharing your perspectives and your advice with our listeners. I'm also um, super grateful that you'll both also be joining us at RSA Conference in April. Uh, Matt, you've got a fabulous session, as you mentioned, on Friday of conference. And Murray, I know that you and your team are facilitating a um, learning lab on Thursday, which should be a great hands-on experience for people to um, to take and, and apply what you've taught about the cyber attack kill chain with active mitigations utilizing DevSecOps. So both very powerful sessions that you'll be offering um, from wonderful domain experts. Thank you both for joining us today, and please be, be sure to tune in next month as well, listeners. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us.